This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Lanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. Melanie, it is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So... Listen, one of the things that we like to do when we open the show up, every time everyone has been faced with this question, and that is, do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs or business owners? Absolutely. Uh, on my mom's side, I'm related to the Wright brothers. And on my dad's side, I'm related to the Tap and Stowe family that invented the microwave. And most people don't realize those two families actually join forces somewhere along the lineage. So it was pretty much drilled in my head growing up. Everyone in my family was an entrepreneur, even the women. A lot of them supported men going through their you know, trials and tribulations to get their businesses up and running. So I, I had that role model growing up. It was phenomenal. Oh, wow. Hold on. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a lot of their diaries. So I, it's been so invaluable as an entrepreneur to read their inner dialogue from even 100 years ago. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see that their fears, their doubts are very, you know, very similar to what we have today. You know, we, we, we get frustrated with technology. They didn't even have technology. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, now I have it here on good authority in my notes that you yourself actually help entrepreneurs and business owners put their stories together into books and, uh, help them like reach bigger audiences. So it's really fascinating that you yourself have access to these things that give insight into the inner world. Is that sort of how you approach looking at working with the clients that you work with as you sort of try to see if you can pull those inner dialogues into usable bite-sized pieces of information? That is a great question. I absolutely do that Um, because I feel that if you're a business owner and you don't have a book, you're literally losing six figures a year, maybe even seven figures a year. Because in this modern technology, where transparency is what creates that connection to the consumer more so than ever, then people want to know your personal story. They they want to know your brand, but they want to know the person behind the brand. So in the past, when we would share these personal or tragic stories or things we had to overcome in business, we often felt like it was a weakness. But it really, that vulnerability has become a strength and almost a commodity in business. You know, some people will exploit it and overdo it. But if you if you do it the right way and you share your story in the right way, it can really make a difference in connecting and even attracting the right clients to your company and even the right team of people for your vision. Right. No, this is true. This is true. People do sleep on the fact that, you know, that thing that they all talk about, I wish I'd write a book. I'm, I plan on writing a book. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Doing it does work wonders. Jason himself is a multiple best-selling author. Uh, he's got a few partners that do work like that. Yeah. It goes without saying that if you're in business and you haven't at least released one of those, you might be leaving money on the table. Now, 
does that come, does this line of work for you come from the fact that you come from that family and you had the diaries that somebody pushed you in that direction or was this something you fell into? Great question. When I was born, my dad was teaching Dale Carnegie classes. And when I was 15 years old, I got in trouble for taking the family car without permission. I didn't fully have my license. I didn't go joyriding or anything. I just wanted to feel like an adult. So I went to my sister's house and did laundry. It was not worth getting busted over that. And so my dad was such a nerd. He's an attorney. He was a former judge. He taught Dale Carnegie. So his punishment was to force me to read this stupid book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, yeah. right? This feels like a hundred years ago. Um, and I was like, I don't need friends. I got friends. I don't need to read this book. Why, why are you such a nerd? Why can't you just ground me like a normal dad, right? <laughs> and I had no idea at the time that when he, his attempt to ground me actually grounded me and rooted me in such a strong foundation of positive thinking and overcoming certain obstacles at a very impressionable time in my stage of life as a teenager. I was dealing with a lot of things that were out of my control, like acne and hormones and mean girls in high school and all that stuff. And so I just, it, it was like, I learned to train my brain a certain way because of this book. And what's funny is I was literally forced like a prisoner to stay home and read it because I couldn't go to the mall and play video games. Some of you might not know, we used to have to actually leave our house to play a video game. We actually had to leave our house to do anything <laughs> back then. And um, I couldn't go to the mall and play like, you know, video games or anything unless I read this book and I had to read it and report back to him and memorize the mantras at the end of each chapter. And I still remember them. Like one of them was to, you know, a man's name is to him, the sweetest word in any language. And like that gave me this foundation as an entrepreneur when I was 18 years old, started my first business. But actually what's funny is I use these principles from the Dale Carnegie book. When I was 15, I rebelled against it horribly, but I used it on my very first job interview. And it was, a, it was at a radio station in my hometown in Texas, where I grew up. And I walked in and the station manager said, now it's really important. If you want this job, you can't have any kind of regional dialect whatsoever. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Yeah. So I was so conscious of that, that I really, you know, I went in and just fully used the techniques of that book and I got the job. It was my first job interview and I had the coolest job in town. I was still in high school and I was working as a DJ on a live radio station. So that choice, that action, that reward became the very first foundation of me being in media and having public platforms and learning how to gauge. If I say this, people do this. If I respond this way, they respond that way. It was a really incredible thing that I had no idea it was going to teach me something like building a platform my whole life. And so it's funny to look back and connect the dots of how these things that seem like this little choice of taking the car, you know, not to be a rebel, but just to have some freedom and feel like an adult, like led to my whole career in media, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. No, that's that's big. Um, before I go any further, I want to let Jason chime in. I'm sure he's got a thing or two there. I have one burning question and I don't ever ask questions, hardly ever. And that is, how did that family lineage that you have, how did that affect your way of thinking, mm. having that lineage itself? Because that's a pretty powerful lineage you have right there, right? Thank so how, how did that really affect your decision-making as you went through 
uh, not like younger years, but you're, you know, when you decide reach into this whole business concept and all these things. That is a great question. And it really, I felt so connected to each of them because I have mm-hmm. a lot of their diaries that, and my great grandmother was one of the first women to run for Congress. She wrote a very famous essay called the cash value of a woman. And mm-hmm. so I have her internal diaries and a lot of her work. And it was really trippy because my whole life, I've never really liked cooking. And people ask me, why don't you like to cook? And I said, because I'd rather do something that lasts, right? I've been saying that since I was a teenager. I just felt like, okay, I got to eat. I just got to get through eating, but I really want to do things that have meaning to the world. And what was fascinating is even just a few weeks ago, I was researching a lot of her old stuff because I'm comprising a book for that new release of the cash value of a woman. And uh, I, I ran across a quote that she had in an article in like the thirties, almost a hundred years ago. And someone asked her, do you like to cook? And she said, no, I'd rather do things that last. And I almost fell out of my chair because I had never seen her that quote before, but somehow those same words came out of my mouth. So I do believe there's something to be said in the science And the evolution of being connected in that level where you feel a connection to your relatives, even if you never met them. And the confidence that came from being an entrepreneur with the assurance of this is normal. Like it's abnormal for me to think of getting a job. Like, you know, most people are afraid of losing their job. My biggest fear would be having to get one because I've worked (laughs) for myself since I was 18. And I think I'd probably take a hostage (laughs) if I had to. (laughs) Oh, wow. No, that's heavy. And I I can only imagine uh, what that's been like to have to move forward through life knowing like, do you ever feel the pressure? It's funny. What I'm getting at is there's a lot of people who run businesses and they're raising kids, right? I'm not a parent, so I don't know. I've seen horror stories of, of kids who feel like they have to live up to some certain expectation. And, you know, you gave us a glimpse of what happened with uh, your father was a very accomplished man and the way he would punish you was totally not normal, you know, come on, dad. Right. And so did you ever feel any pressure to sort of be something like that? And how did you get around that? That is a great question too. I mean, I think my dad has always been my hero and here's, what's funny. He's 86 years young. And when he was 85, about a year ago, he, we published his first book since then he's written four books. He's now written a number five. And ironically, it's like self-help improvement books. And I'm thinking the full circle moment of me being 15 and being forced, you know, like a prisoner in my home to read these self-help books that became the foundation for my whole life and career and business. And then all these years later, that defining moment of having him come in and be a, an author and helping him reach that lifelong dream that he's had and watching how that's affected him. He will never retire. He's an attorney. And we joke that he's going to live long enough to do his own probate, you know, but (laughs) he literally has written, he's now working on his fifth book and he has several volumes. So there's this residual income coming in every month that he's like, didn't even plan. He didn't even know that was possible. So it was funny to see that happen and then go back and be able to read the words of our ancestors and have that be an inspiration and see how far have we come in a hundred years or how do we think we've come pretty far? And we really look at the reality. We haven't, 
you know? Um, and then the other, one of the other relatives that I have that I'm blessed to have is Horace Greeley. So my grandfather was named after him and he was a newspaper publisher and editor back in the late 1800s. He was friends with Mark Twain. And so it's interesting to, to read his perspective. Like everybody sees him as this newspaper guy that was successful, but he really just wanted to be a politician and he wanted to be accepted as a politician. And his inner dialogue was how can people don't understand I'm trying to do all this for the community. And they just see this outside perception of him being this newspaper guy. So he would go in to all of these political meetings and then he'd go write about their inner secrets in the newspaper and, and all the politicians hated him. So they were always blocking him from being a politician. And another really full circle moment is I had been hired by the state of Nevada as a travel writer to go do this piece on this section of Nevada that's often, that's not Vegas. So there is the rest of Nevada besides Vegas people. Um, and so <laughs> I got to go ride on a stagecoach. Check this out. You guys are going to freak out. This was in Virginia City, which is the most incredible city. If you've never been there, you've got to check it out. If you're a history buff, you will freak out. They have active silver mines. They have trains, a Wild West show. And it's like this place is just stopped in time in the late 1800s, Wild West town. This is where uh, Captain and Tennille first met and started performing. This is where... Um, so many people from San Francisco Bay Area that have a lot of money created their, that money came from that area when Comstock's load hit, you know, like um, William Randolph Hearst and all these other people. So it's a, there's incredible opportunities there to to really pick up on the rich history of this town. And that is where Samuel Clemens became Mark Twain. So I got to sit at this desk where Mark Twain wrote his first book. They let me pass the rope and I got to sit there and feel that energy. And then we were riding on this stagecoach and this guy, Gary, he's like a crusty stagecoach driver. He's third generation stagecoach driver. You don't see many of those resumes around, do you? <laughs> and he starts telling me these stories of how my ancestor, how, you know, um, how crazy this was that Horace Greeley and Mark Twain rode out on the stagecoach. And they went around the city doing all these things. And it blew my mind because I never even realized that Horace Greeley actually went West because in his diary, he said, go West young man. And is famous for quoting that, which wasn't actually his quote, by the way. And he didn't actually go West because he wanted all of his co competition to go West so he could make more money on the East coast. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know he ever even went West of the Mississippi. So that was a huge profound moment. And for the rest of the day, my kids and I spent, we went where they went. We ate what they ate. We drank what they drank. We helped, we hung out at the millionaires club. And I swear I felt a kick on my stool. And I think it was Mark Twain saying, finish your damn book already. And that was like years ago. And it was such an incredible thing. So, you know, I think there is something to the energy of people that have come before us and being able to tap in like masterminds. You know, we've heard of how Napoleon Hill and some of these people did something similar with people that had passed away and they tried to feel like they were channeling their direction, their advice, their wisdom. You know, we've, we've heard about that in business before, but, um, but it's interesting to have their personal diaries and be able to read that kind of stuff. That's funny. That's the second time that book came up today. Really? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank and grow rich. Yeah. And, and uh, 
I actually attribute a lot of my early formative years, like when I was 14 and such, uh, to the reading of things like Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends and Influence People, The Four Agreements, Ultimate Power. Like mm-hmm. I read all those all before hitting high school, which was really then hard to like adjust to what everyone else cared about. <laughs> to reality. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and think about it. Those books came out almost a hundred years ago and we still don't know how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> so like, you know, the, the authority that comes from being an author is so powerful when you write the book that people want to read that is timeless like this, when you're really putting that much effort. And it's funny, Napoleon Hill took 30 years interviewing all these, you know, he wasn't the expert, he was the reporter. Mm-hmm. And it took him 30 years because he didn't have Zoom. <laughs> he didn't have social <laughs> I was just media. Gonna say, if Napoleon Hill was born in these days, he would have done a podcast. I literally wrote my last book in less than seven days. I wrote it and had it edited, formatted, and published in less than seven days. So it can be done. And those kinds of books can be timeless because it's all trapped in our head. We just need to extract it and have the right blueprint to put it out there in the world. But your knowledge is so valuable to other people. And when someone tells me they want to retire, I'm like, that's so selfish. Don't retire, become a coach or like, you know, write a book and, and tell other young people who just got their license in your industry how they can make two hundred fifty dollars or $300,000 a year. Don't go to your grave with that. Come on, like share the knowledge with people. So it's just, it's just fascinating to me to think, you know, to look away how most people think about it. But entrepreneurs, we're a different breed. You know, we, we have to face that fear and, and, and doubts and rejection every day. And even famous people that have been successful, like the Wright brothers and all these guys, they had their failures. They had good days and bad days, but they just kept going. They just, they pushed one more day, one more day. And that got them through it. If there's anything important also outside of all the little insights you've dropped here is uh, keep a journal. (laughs) Oh. Oh yes. I've been journaling since I was 15 and it's fascinating to go back and look, you know, I I ran into like an old boyfriend from like 30 years ago and I was like, God, that guy was so great. What happened to him? And then I went back and read in my journal and went, that guy was a creep. How did I forget (laughs) that he was such a jerk? Like what in the world? How, why did in my head had this positive (laughs) remembrance and it was like, not at all the case. So yeah, no, it's powerful stuff. And I'm really excited to hear some, you know, uh, uh, Jason himself is a is a published author many times over, and so uh, I, I I know that he firsthand understands the value of the work that you're doing for people. Uh, yeah. I, I, I Congrats, also hope, Jason. Yeah, just kicking out number nine. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I'd also like to take a chance uh, before uh, before we reach the latter half of this uh, show to give a shout out to our to one of our supporters, if that's all right with you. Uh, today we have here Stephanie Emmett, who uh, really is addressing the solopreneurs uh, who may spend all of their time with DIY marketing. Right. And if you're saying things like, oh, I don't know what I should be doing. Everything that I do doesn't seem to work. I get engagement, but no sales. You know, email doesn't work anymore. I don't want to come across as salesy or I literally have no idea what I'm doing wrong. If any of that sounds like you, then you need to look at what Stephanie Emmett has developed as the startups to six figures mentorship. 
that's the solution. And in the mentorship sessions, you'll be given simple, clear, exact steps. And you won't need to feel frozen with analysis paralysis. You won't be overwhelmed with a huge checklist of a bunch of tasks that you'll probably never get through. And all you have to do is go to the rightstephanie.com. And that's W-R-I-T-E, the rightstephanie.com. You can enter the code WARROOM for 10% discount on that first service that you book with her. Thank you, Stephanie. Now- Ooh, I love that. I love that name. And I love the idea of mentors because, you know, when you think about, I want to do something new, instead of thinking, how do I do this? Or what do I need to do? You should be thinking, who? Who do I know that has done this that can- you know, help me do it much faster, much quicker. So that's awesome. I love that you jumped onto that. And I mean, I'm not surprised as you're in the writing game, you're like, interesting. How do they present that? How do they scope that out? What is, you're just always running. And I, and I got that from the jump. You're, you're ready to go. You, one of the things I always tell people when I work with them on brand strategy is like, do you even have your stories lined up? Or like, do you have your six, seven stories ready to go? Because if you don't have those, like, you know, that's the least you could do. Uh, oh, it's so important because you <laughs> never know when you're going to have an opportunity. And it's like when people say, I want to travel, but then they don't get a passport. So then they get an opportunity <laughs> to travel and they're not prepared. And it's funny because next month I'm going to India and I'm actually speaking to 500,000 people. And wow. I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. Like that's a lot of eyeballs. That's a million eyeballs looking at you. And it's like, I, I don't think in the Beatles, Michael Jackson, like nobody had a crowd that big. So it's so nerve wracking to think, what am I going to say? And it doesn't mean like whether you're speaking to one person or 500,000 people, it's, it's the information you give has to be valuable to the context of the people that are there. Just like when you write a book, you have to write the book people want to read, not just the book you want to write. And so telling your story, sharing your story also comes down when you're speaking to who is that audience and what is it, what's their pain point that they're struggling with and how can you help resolve that quickly? Yeah. So it's all about, you, you got to find that itch and provide the scratch. That's what it is, right? Absolutely. So, and, and it's always, it's interesting though, how like, uh, I'd rather learn from all of your mistakes so I don't have to make them. Oh, that amen to that, brother. I mean, I spent at least a hundred thousand dollars or more learning how to write my first book in probably 15 years. I mean, cumulative of of just the masterminds and the workshops and and following these people. And like my mentors wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. And, you know, I decided to work with them to learn their process. And what's funny is my book was actually one of their books, and I couldn't get my book done. I was procrastinating, procrastinating. And then eventually they ended up selling their company. I'm like, but what about my book? So (laughs) then I had to make a decision. Do I keep it with a new owner? And I ended up bringing it out to my own, which people thought I was crazy. Like, why would you take your book out from this brand that is the, that has sold more books on this planet than any other human being? Like that's a huge platform, but I knew there was something bigger for me. And I knew there was some direction I wanted to go. And they supported that and said, We'll help you go in that direction if this isn't the right path for you. And they were so great about that. And, Uh, you know, that kind of began the whole journey. But I was dragging my feet. And I'm sure, Jason, you can relate to this, having written nine books. 
you know, you, you have these self-doubts when you're writing, like, what if people don't like it? What if they give me a bad review? And what if, you know, I don't have a formal writing background, you know, am I credible? And all these what ifs. And I would, even though I had a major publishing deal, I was still procrastinating getting all my stories because my book had 50 different stories in it. And the focus of that book was coping with the loss of a child of people that had lost a child. In fact, today, is actually the angel anniversary of my son who passed away. He would have been 17 years old today. And mm-hmm. his name was Carson. So like everything I do is for him, to honor him. And everything I went through in that loss kind of set me back, but then set me up to be able to help people and have this company of self-help and finding solutions for people, right? Like what you guys are doing. Um, and the beauty is, Mark said to me, Mark Victor Hansen, he said, stop thinking of who your book is going to help and start thinking of who it's going to hurt if you don't get it finished. And the next day, this woman in my hometown stepped in front of a train and took her own life because her son had died 15 years before. And I knew I had that solution and I felt so selfish and horrible because I thought I could have helped her. And it was my own fear and doubt that I felt like just killed somebody right? Like if I had given her my book and the resources, she would have had hope. Maybe we could have stopped that. And then when the book came out, I didn't understand the authority I had. And people would call me and they were like suicidal saying, I'm in this dark place. Can you help me? You're the expert. You wrote the book on it. Can you fix me? Can you make me not feel this way anymore? And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have the tools. So I went back to my mentor, Tony Robbins, and I got I basically got some tools fairly quickly to become a life coach and a business coach and and worked on the grief tools for myself so I could help others. And I realized how important it was to have that extension when you do write a book, to be prepared for people to see you as that expert. And if it's something you're already doing in your business, that makes sense. It's an extension of that. But if you're writing it from a passion project, like I was, I wasn't a grief coach. I wasn't the expert on grief. And somehow I became grief girl and bounce back babe with a super cape and everything, you know, I mean, it was like, um, I, and people saw me as that authority. So, you know, I had to become that person that wrote the book in order to help people that were reading it and needed that support. So that's another lesson I learned along the way. No, that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, um, Judd Apatow wrote a script called, uh, this is 40. And uh, I had read the script before I ever saw the movie. And the whole reason why it's called This is 40 is he had reached a, a age in his life after lots of success in Hollywood, where he started feeling confused by how everything is so different from what he remembers when he started out in his life. His relationship with his partner was suffering. His business was suffering. You know, his family life was terrible. And he's like, what is going on? And, and so he wrote that script in an effort to figure out what 40 years old means, what midlife means to him. And so I think that there's there's so many benefits to writing. Uh, for all kinds of reasons. And I think that's really the main lesson from uh, from having a conversation with someone like you, As, apart from all the little tidbits and nuggets, like there's a powerful lesson in trusting the process of writing and what that can do for you as a, as a consolidation of your thoughts and experiences. Uh, with that said, I, I would like to take a second to uh, 
to to thank you so much for what you've been doing and offer you a red carpet and say like, hey, where can people connect with you if they want to get in touch with you? Thank you. I appreciate that. The best place is to go to our website. It's www.mydefiningmoments.com with an S, mydefiningmoments.com. Our company is called Defining Moments. So that's what we do is we help people become authors. We help them share their story um, and really take it out of their head and their heart and get it into the hands of the people that really need it. Uh, It's for some people, it's life or death. You know, it could mean the difference between whether they stay in a marriage, whether they repair it, whether they heal from a relationship, whether they choose to just give up, you know, and a lot of other people have that knowledge and they've already been through so many things that they've overcome that the, that knowledge is the experience that can help somebody else and serve someone else. So thank you for having me on the show and for uh, having this chat. This has been really fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, before we go off to the grand finale question for all the millions of points, uh, Jason, uh, any thoughts? Let's roll it out. Let's roll okay. out the, all right. the big kahuna. Yeah. So for all the marbles, uh, if you could have invited anybody here today, Melanie, who would you have loved to have had here and why them? Oh, boy. Um, I think definitely Mark Twain. He is my favorite writer, one of my favorite humans. Um, I've studied his work for so long, and I just feel like he has this incredible balance of sarcasm and wit, but human caring. And, And we could see his story and his journey evolve and how he change the way we look at literature and change the way we look at stories and how we look at people. And he did it in such an elegant way, but he still has a great sense of humor about it. I think he'd make a, a really fun guest. Hell yeah. Right on. I love you it. Send, send him the book and link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get Mark Twain on the podcast. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny on my, I, I was promoting my book that launched a few days ago and I actually had this newspaper from Virginia City that said Mark Twain dubs Melanie Warner his favorite writer. It was brilliant. And then I have a Mark Twain quote in my book and I put it on my social media. So people are like, what is this? This is so interesting. Cause it looked like one of those old timey newspapers from the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And I had it done when I was there like years ago. And it was the perfect social media post for this book. So <laughs> it was so funny. No, I like it. You're in good company along with uh, Keanu Reeves, who seems to live forever. And have you seen that thing with the celebrities who seem like they've been living through generations over and over again? I don't know if you've seen that. There's a bunch no, of celebrities like Nicolas Cage, Keanu Reeves, I'm trying to think of who else, but there's images from the 1800s and such of people that look just like our favorite celebrities do today. And so people wow. are saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, is yeah. so cool. I have never... I have never heard of that. I've got to, I've got to check that out. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. What you had said, it sort of reminded me of that. And I, I thought that was a good play. Uh, with that said, it is tradition for Jason to roll us out here. So I'll let him close this out, but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, learning about the rich history you come from. And I'm very grateful that you reminded me of exactly why it's so important to write down everything you can when you can. Thank you, Philip and Jason. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great having you on the show. Thanks for taking the 30, 40 minutes of your time out of your day to be here with us today and uh, dropping some little nuggets along the way uh, for our audience to pick up. Great history. My gosh, what an awesome history. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. Great history, great family history. Definitely draw from that as much as you can 
and uh, <laughs> share that with the world. My gosh, not many people get the opportunity to share that kind of lineage and information with how people thought then. Oh, so, absolutely. And that, that really is what, what I'm working on is that the cash value of a woman, what's interesting yeah. real quick about that, because I know we're wrapping up is a hundred mm-hmm. years ago, she wrote this in the women's suffrage movement. She wrote this report about if you were to pay a woman, just a nickel for every task they did. Remember there were no machines back then. Then it equated to over $30,000 a year, a hundred years ago. Today, that's over $300,000 a year. And we're we're taking her old information and report, along with a lot of her writings from 100 years ago and comparing it to where we are now for women, especially. And people think women have made a lot of advances. And in some ways we have and in the workforce and everything, but there's also setbacks that we still have. So it's a really fascinating look at that. And it's going to be an incredible way to, to highlight and showcase some of her work as well. And even some of the things from her diary that I think people would find very interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, again, great having you on the show. And I look forward to see what you do next. Oh, thank you. Likewise. And good luck with your book as well. I want to I want to see what you're doing, too. So let's keep in touch for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Cheers. Melanie. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.